my name is Ike Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors at Hope Denver, and I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, wherever you are, wherever you're coming from, uh, if you're joining us online, I hope today that you'll walk away knowing that God loves you, that God is, is happy that you're alive, and that uh, we're happy that you decided to spend time with us too. There is real hope for your life and for mine because of Jesus. So if you don't catch anything else that I'm about to say, make sure you know that, that God loves you. Um, in just a moment, we're going to talk We're going to talk through the Bible. We're going to read some Bible together. But a couple announcements. Hope Kids, we just had a wonderful time with our kids, and we love children. We don't consider children to be um, an obstacle or, uh, or um, a distraction. Uh, we're happy that they're here. But we do, we do want to provide for them a little bit more of a personalized experience. Typically, we've done this in the past, if you've been around Hope Denver for a while. Did you know that if everybody who regularly called Hope Denver their home helped just once a month, uh, or sorry, once every six weeks, we would have all of our kids' classes volunteers covered. So that's just something to think about. We would love for you to have your help. Um, if you're interested in helping, you can uh, in send an email to info at hopedenver.com, or you can talk to a pastor. Um, we also have hope groups that are starting up really soon. This is a big part of how we do life together at Hope Denver, is we, we spend time in each other's homes. We spend time having a glass of wine together and just talking about what God's doing in our lives. Um, you can sign up for those at hopedenver.com slash groups. Had a conversation about that with, uh, with somebody today already. We've got some good ones coming up. There's Bibles and Bros. There's a ladies' night meetup. Uh, there's a dinner group that's talking about the meaning of the gospel. Uh, there's a group where we learn how God speaks to us today. How do we hear the voice of God today? So uh, make sure you sign up for a Hope Group launching this week. HopeDenver.com slash groups. I also wanted to say if you're interested in being baptized in water, if that's something that you'd like to do, uh, followers of Jesus have always done this as a symbol of them being purified by God. We be ba we're baptized in water. Um, if you would like to be baptized, we want to make a chance for you to do that soon. Uh, again, talk to a pastor, that's me, or, or you can talk to Pastor Tyler or Pastor Cassie, who you've seen already, my wife, Pastor Kelsey is here as well. Talk to one of us, and, uh, and we'll, get you, we'll get you signed up for that. Um, or you can always email info at in the same way. Finally, <laughs> get through these. Uh, if you brought a gift, if you brought uh, you, uh, a tithe or an offering, um, you, can, you can deposit that. There's a box uh, that's on the table as you entered in today. You can put that there. Or you can always go to hopedenver.com slash give. And thank you for your generosity. Today, we're continuing a series called God Is. God Is. Who is God really? Uh, is God the old man upstairs? Is he an angry spirit who's ready to smite the earth? I've never smote something before, so I wouldn't really know. Uh, in this series, though, we're talking about how God's not a force. He's not a feeling. He's a person, and he's a person who really loves you. And in particular, today, we're going to talk about how God is holy. God is holy. Last week we had a, a sermon on how God is love. I'd encourage you to check out the podcast for more on that. God is love. Um, but God is holy. Now, here's what we're going to focus on. While most people think that holiness is about being arrogant and disdainful for God, holiness is about bringing purity and dignity to people. We're going to redefine what the word holiness means a little bit, because I think in our culture, holy sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like if you're, if you're acting holier than thou, it's like you look down at everybody else. 
But for God, holiness is all about bringing purification and dignity to people. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 6. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through the Bible. And you can always go to, to uh, the YouVersion app or the Bible app on your phone and go to Isaiah 6. Um, go ahead and turn there. Again, while most people think that holiness is about being arrogant and disdainful, for God, holiness is about bringing purity and dignity to people. Now, I'll give, you some, I'll give you some context of what we're about to read. Isaiah was a person who had been given messages from God to deliver to people. Uh, he had been given messages from God. Sometimes it was an image. Sometimes it was words to say. And God would, would tell Isaiah these things, and then he would deliver them to the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He would deliver these messages to them. That's something that in the Bible is referred to as a prophet, that God would give messages to Isaiah and then he would give them to other people. Now, the main messages that God wanted to give through Isaiah were actually pretty tough messages. And this, hap- this was because of the way that people were living in Israel in Isaiah's day. In Isaiah's day, the children of Israel were guilty of worshiping other gods. So they would worship God, but then along with that, they would worship other gods. And sometimes the worship of other gods meant that they would do awful things, like offering their babies in the fire to a god called Molech. It's a terrible thing. It's an awful thing. And so God was often often convicting them of something they were doing wrong. Another thing that was happening in Isaiah's day is that the people, that the Israelite people were perverting justice against the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. The people who are the lowest in society, they were hurting the most. And so God gives these messages to Isaiah. It's about four or 800 years before Christ. He gives these messages to Isaiah to warn the people. And his message was always this, turn back to God. Don't follow other gods anymore. Don't turn, don't, don't turn towards your own understanding of justice. Turn, turn towards God's understanding of justice. Start living rightly again, and God will forgive you and bring you healing, and that's key. Every time God told people to turn back to him, he said, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to heal you. He always does that. So let's look at Isaiah 6. This is verse 1 through 8, and it's God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I, come, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, that's a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched it to my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Today we're talking about how a lot of times people think that holiness is that God's angry and he wants to hurt you. But for God, holiness is about purifying us 
and giving us dignity. It's a very beautiful thing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us today. No matter who we are or where we come from, you look at us with eyes of compassion and love. And for those of us who are just willing to say, God, I need you, we are immediately welcomed into your family. So right now, we recognize that there are a lot of different places where we need you. And if that's you, friends, you can just say, yeah, God, I need you. God, I need you. So we open our hearts to you today. And if you agree with that, just say, yes, God, I open my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's, let's look at the text here. We're going to go back to verse 1, and we'll go through bit by bit. In, that, in, that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was probably in Jerusalem, in, in the temple. It was the, a temple of worship to Yahweh. Um, there were probably different courts that he, he may have been in where uh, he might have seen smoke. He might have seen incense or smoke coming up from, from sacrifices being offered to God. He's in this very religious setting. <laughs> he may have been praying for his people. He may have been praying for himself. Um, now, and he refers to a king, and the king is a man named Uzziah. Uzziah was the, was the reigning monarch in Judea, uh, which is in Palestine today. Um, he was the reigning monarch in, in Judea, and he had just died. And his son, Jotham, had now become king. Now, the thing that we should know about King Uzziah is that he was generally a good king, but his legacy was mixed. He didn't do everything he should have done, and there were ways in which he allowed evil practices to continue in the land. And his son Jotham similarly had a mixed legacy. And this is incredibly important to, to remember when we're looking at a verse like this. In the middle of a political transition, where there, was, there, were, there were leaders who had mixed legacies, in the middle of that, God's message is that I am the true king who's on the throne. And that's important for us. Where we are right now, when we look around our country, we're in the middle of a political transition, God, God wants to say, I am the true king. Now, God the Father, he doesn't have a body, <laughs> but he's willing to appear in ways that make sense to us. And so for Isaiah, it would have made perfect sense to see a king sitting on a throne, wearing a big robe, and what he's saying by this, this imagery is that God's splendor is unlike anything else, unlike any other king. But what he's saying, what God is saying, is that he's the king of the world that he created. And that makes sense that he would get to make that claim, right? It's his world. He made it. He can claim to be the king. But this is important. Because when there's a, a, a royal transition with, between two kings who have mixed legacies, people probably would have been anxious and a little bit nervous in Judea. Is this the time that our enemies are going to attack us? Is this when everything that we've worked to build under King Uzziah will go away? Is this where we'll finally have a chance to get real justice in this country? And in the middle of our political transition right now, people are very anxious in this country. People are, are nervous. And even religious people are, are, are really anxious about what's happening right now. They're worried about the election. And in the middle of this, God's message is that we have a king who's on the throne. And his glory is unlike any other political leader. Isn't that good news? 
That's good news. This king is the high king. He's the king above all kings, and he's exalted. You can't say enough good things about this king. From his love to his justice, from his peace to his power, it's impossible to exaggerate how great this king is. If you want to say an amen, I'll like it. (laughs) We've said it before. This election is important. The election that we're in right now is important, and political engagement is good, but we already have a king whose power transcends the power of any other authority that could be set up in this world. We have a king. His legacy will be so much stronger and purer than the legacy of any politician we could ever elect or appoint in this country. So my challenge to all of us is to put your hope in the Lord, not in the president. Look at verse 2. Above him... Above this king were seraphim. Seraphim would be like a, a kind of angelic being. Um, and seraphim is plural, so there are, there are multiple of these, of these beings. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they're flying. This isn't saying that there's actually like these weird winged creatures. There may be creatures like this. Um, this is an image, right? So he's giving him an image. Is it possible that there are beings that look like this? Yeah, I suppose. But the point of this is that is what they're doing. They're covering their faces. That is that God's glory is so great that they, they want to almost shield themselves from how strong God's glory is. They're covering their feet, the thing that would walk along the ground, right? They're saying, God, your glory is so great that I need to cover this. And they're flying around, right? They can't, they can't, they can't stop down and, and take a rest. The idea is that whatever they're seeing is so amazingly glorious and radiant. And it says that, that, uh, uh, that the temple shook and it was filled with smoke. And that's a representation of God's presence. Let's keep going here. Uh, with two feet they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Smoke is a representation of God's presence. You know, smoke fills up a room. It's the same thing with God's presence. It fills up a room. Maybe you felt God's presence as we were worshiping today. And this is the first thing that we need to know about God's holiness. Holiness is glorious. By glorious, I mean that God is impressive, powerful, beautiful, awesome, and filled with light. His presence is like looking at the sun. It's amazing, but it's like a little dangerous. You can't tame God and make him safe, right? Uh, He's so incredible that he deserves every possible superlative title. God is the most good. He's the most powerful. He's the most high. He's the most exalted. God's holiness is the most amazing and wonderful thing that anyone could possibly behold. And it's so amazing that these angelic beings, these seraphim who are flying around, they keep talking about how God is holy. And God's holiness is so amazing that they don't just say, God, you're holy. They say that God is holy, holy, holy. It's as if they have to keep saying it and make it complete to, re- to re- repeat it again and again. And God's holiness is so amazing that they don't just say holy, holy, holy once. They call back and forth to each other. God is holy, holy, holy. The earth is filled with his glory. 
Think about something that is holy. I always think about a wedding as a kind of holy thing. You know what I'm talking about? When you go to a wedding, a wedding's not a time for, for stand-up one-liners, <laughs> right? When you go to a wedding, imagine this. The bride walks down the aisle with her father. It's a holy moment, right? It's solemn. It's amazing. And imagine the bride, she looks beautiful, that dress is just incredible. It's a holy moment. It's amazing. She walks down towards the front. Her groom is there. And he's looking sharp. He got a haircut for once. He's looking great. And the pastor's there. And the pastor asks a very important question. Who gives this woman in holy marriage to this man? That's a holy question, right? The parents wouldn't be like, I don't know, I don't know. We, didn't, we didn't actually talk about this. Right? They prepared for it, right? It's a holy moment. Now imagine, imagine in that holy moment, somebody notices that the groom's fly is down, okay? You wouldn't be like, hey, Bob, your fly is down, right? Like, that's a holy moment. You don't screw it up that way. Something powerful and amazing is happening, but it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something that's amazing, and you have to treat it with respect. Holiness is glorious, and that's how it is when we're in God's presence. Look at verse 5. Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried. Woe to me is like, is is, is like, in our culture, it would probably be like a choice word. It'd probably be like, like a four-letter word. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, in the middle of this glorious moment, something incredibly important happens. God's holiness exposes the contrast between God and humanity. There's a big difference between God and all of us. Remember the context of this book. The context of this book is that the the people of Israel were perverting justice. They were treating the weakest in society, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, like they had no rights. They were perverting justice and going back on their financial agreements with one another. They were trusting in foreign alliances to protect their country when they should have been trusting in God. And they were worshiping other gods and doing terrible things as a part of that worship for other gods. So Isaiah says, these are my people, and I'm a representative of them. This is important context here. In Isaiah's world, identity was more communal than it was individual. He would have thought of himself as a representative of his people. And even if he was a good guy, he knew that his people had done all of these terrible things. So he sees the contrast between who he is and what his people are like, and who God is, and what God is like. Isaiah 1 gives a little bit of, a, a, of an idea of what Isaiah may have been thinking here. In Isaiah 1, it says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, remember he was at the temple right now, and God says, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. 
So he may have been thinking about this at that time. See, God's people had been guilty of worshiping other gods, even sacrificing their children in the fire to the god Molech. They had been guilty of injustice as well. They mistreated the poor, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. They were guilty of all kinds of sins. And, and we don't really know if Isaiah was guilty of these, but he comes into God's presence and notices the contrast. And that's something that we need to know about God's holiness. God's holiness is convicting. It's convicting. He felt the weight of the sins of his people. His people had called evil good, and they had called good evil. And in many ways, our world is like this too. Holiness is convicting. Isaiah is convicted of his sin. He's aware that there's a big difference between who he is and who God is. But this is where we can miss out on something that's truly incredible. There's an instinct that we can have, and you may have had this instinct before. I've had it before. There's an instinct that we can have when we feel convicted. The instinct is to feel like God is going to destroy you. Have you ever had this, these thoughts before? Like, God hates me? Have you ever had that thought before? God hates me. Maybe you've had the thought before that religion is all about feeling bad about things. Christianity is so negative. I want, I want you to know it's okay if you've had those thoughts before. But that's something that can happen when you start to feel convicted. And thoughts like this are made worse by the fact that sometimes Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. Am I right? Sometimes Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. Um, one thing, one thing that, that Jesus always did is he always exposed that kind of hypocrisy. In his life, he would always expose that kind of hypocrisy. And I want you to know that if your experience of Christianity is people being judgmental and being, people being hypocritical, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that was your experience. And I want you to know that Christians like me, we want to do better. At Hope Denver, we want to do better. We're probably going to be hypocritical at some point, and in our worst moments, we might even be judgmental, but we don't mean to be. I don't mean to be, but if that's your experience, I want you to know, I'm sorry. We don't represent Jesus well when we're like that. See, what Jesus did in his life is he would always reach out to and heal the people who were victims of judgment and hypocrisy. <laughs> if you read the Gospels, which are historical biographies of Jesus' life, You'll see he's always reaching out to the people that religious people made them feel bad. <laughs> he's always going after those people. And he can do this for you too. If you've felt scorned or shamed by people, Jesus does that for people. He reaches out to them and heals them. But it's important to understand this, that while, while holiness is always convicting, it's not an occasion to feel like God will crush you or like God wants you just to feel judged and ashamed, and that's the end of the story. Because you have to look at verses 6 and 7 to see why. Let's look at this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. See, holiness doesn't mean that we should be in despair or fear or shame. Holiness means forgiveness. This is what happens here. There's an, an image of God's holiness 
Isaiah is convicted, and immediately God offers forgiveness to him. This is the third thing that we need to know about holiness, is that holiness is purifying. Isn't that good news? It's purifying. See, the metaphor here is fire. It's like a live coal that is, that has, that, that's on fire. But it's not that God wants to burn you up. <laughs> that's not the message here. Think about gold. Gold, when it's found in the hills or next to a creek bed, it's mixed with other substances, right? What does fire do to gold? It purifies it. And it shows its true value, right? Gold is more valuable and more beautiful for having been touched by fire. And that's exactly what happens to Isaiah here. The coal comes to him and his sin is taken away. It purifies him. Or the, 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 coal, the coal purifies him. Isaiah recognizes his sin and his people's sin, and the message of this is not, you better make it right. The message of this is, oh, I can take care of your sin. I can heal you of your guilt. I can take away your shame. And it happens in a moment. And I want you to see the sequence of this. I, Isaiah has this moment of conviction, and it's immediately followed by a moment of forgiveness. We're not meant to just sit in judgment. We're meant to live as forgiven. And that's the message of the Bible. Typically in our culture, if you do something wrong, what's the message? Well, you need to make it right. And there's nothing wrong with personal responsibility. We should all take responsibility for our actions. If we've done something wrong, we should try to seek restitution, try to make it right. But when you have sin before a holy God, his message to you is, I will make it right. And I think that's what God is saying to us today. For your sin and mine, God's saying, I will make it right. I'll make it right. The message isn't do better. It's I've already done everything is needed. The message isn't you need to fix this. It's God saying, let me fix this. So we can miss out on the beauty of holiness. We can feel like God wants to crush us when all God wants to do is heal us and purify us. When I was a boy, I stole something from one of our neighbors. And it ate me up inside for hours. You ever had that before where you did something wrong? Maybe you told somebody what you really thought about them. <laughs> and it just ate you up inside ate me up inside and out for hours. And after I couldn't take it anymore, I went to my dad. My dad's here today. With tears in, his eye, or tears in my eyes and with shame in my heart, I told him what I did. And my dad didn't shame me and he didn't ridicule me. He hugged me. He told me that I needed to return what I stole. And when I did, I came back and he hugged me and he told me that he was proud of me. This is what our Heavenly Father is like. He doesn't want to shame you or break you. He wants to heal you and embrace you. Now, not all of us have good earthly fathers. I'm very grateful for mine. And maybe you have a similar story in your life that ends a bit more tragically than mine did. 
But this is where we need to understand who our Heavenly Father really is. Think about Isaiah's story. Isaiah's story was that he came from a people who had done terrible things, and he lived in a world where there was no love and no justice. It was a dog-eat-dog world. But Isaiah's Heavenly Father was someone who brought him purity and acceptance in a single act. He brought the coal to him, and he healed him. Our Heavenly Father isn't somebody who wants to make you feel guilty and crushed and ashamed and alone. He's someone who wants to take your life and make it beautiful and pure, and he wants to fill it with love and embrace. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, Lord, send me. The fourth thing that we need to learn about God's holiness is that it's dignifying. God's holiness is dignifying. In this scene, uh, God is on his throne with all these powerful, angelic beings, and he chooses not to send one of his powerful angels. Who does he choose to send? A human being. A man who moments before had said, Woe to me, I am ruined. It's somebody who feels so little and so low that God says, I want to use you to bring a message to my people. Imagine how beautiful the cleansing would have been for Isaiah just moments before to say, I am ruined, and to now be the one who says, I'll volunteer. That's how amazing God's purification is. It gives him that much confidence to where he feels like he might as well be dead to going to saying, God, I can do this. I can participate in this. Call, call on me. Send me. That's how amazing that healing would have been for Isaiah. See, if you love God, if you love God and you know that God loves you, you don't need to be afraid anymore. You, you, you want to stand up and let God use you. If you know God, you know how much he loves you. You want to make him proud. <laughs> you, want to, you want to get out there and respond to his love. All of a sudden, Isaiah feels like he's up to the task. He had just felt fear, and now he feels dignity. We should all have a, a healthy fear of God. But it's important to know that there's a difference between dread and, and healthy fear. Fear is something, in the Bible, it's something more like respect. I respect who I'm talking to. That's what's happening here, is that Isaiah has a kind of respect for God. He, he understands that he's talking to somebody who's powerful and holy and someone that he can't control. That's who God is. But this is respecting God. It's not being afraid of God. It's understanding that God is God and you are not. That's, that's healthy fear and healthy respect. The Bible says that we should never be afraid of God because we're loved by God. But we should have a healthy respect for who he is and what he's asking us to do. In fact, the Bible says this. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness is with their children's children. 
It's a promise for those of us who are parents today. It's a good thing. So you need to respect God, but you don't need to be afraid that he'll break you. You know, I think it's even possible to be afraid that if I really choose to follow God, that he will ruin my life. Have you ever had that thought before? Gosh, if I really follow God, things are going to get difficult. You ever had that thought? It's possible to be afraid of that. But the promise of the Bible is that if you choose to love him and you fear him, you have this healthy respect of him, then his, his love and his blessing are yours from everlasting to everlasting to the next generation. His love is with you. See, real respect and love make you not want to shrink back in fear, but to stand up with respect and say, here I am, send me. That's what real love and real respect do. God doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to take your life and make it beautiful. He wants to make beautiful things come from your life. So my question to you is, what are those beautiful things that God wants to make with your life? Are there people who need hope, who need love and acceptance that you know who need to hear this kind of message? Are there people that you can, you can think about, your friends, your family, your neighbors, where you're thinking, yeah, God, here am I, send me. Because God's holiness will dignify you for that very task. God wants you to participate with him in healing the world. Maybe it's time for all of us to say, here I am, send me. As we close today, um, I want to just give you some encouragement and a little bit of a challenge, too. How should we respond to something like this? I think the first thing that we all have to do, me included, is we have to be willing to admit that we're not okay on our own. That me, by myself, in this life, is not going to cut it. See, there's a way to miss out on the beauty of God's holiness, and that's to pretend like you're fine on your own. I don't need cleansing. I don't need God to dignify me. I don't need conviction. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need any of that. God will give you permission to do that. But it's impossible to catch all of the good things that come with God's holiness if you're not willing to admit that you're not okay on your own. Later in Isaiah, it says this. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. The person who understands that they, they need help. The person who understands, I, I've made mistakes. God says, that's where he lives. Do you see that? He lives in a high and holy place, but he lives with you and me. Those of us who are contrite and lowly. And why does he live with us? To revive the spirit of the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. Friends, I know that some of you came in here today and the weight of everyday life was just on you and you need for God to revive you today. You've been suffering with anxiety. Some of you are, are struggling through real medical issues in your life. Uh, you, have, you have longings that have been unfulfilled to this point. You have pain. And God says, my place where I dwell is with you. 
those who understand that they need me, those who are lowly. And I'm sure there are some of us here today, too, that we, we felt like, God, I think I've messed some stuff up. And God's dwelling place is with you as well. If you're contrite, he wants to live right where you are. In the middle of all of your mistakes, and maybe the mistakes that other people have done, and you're just the victim, God lives there too. Blaise Pascal said this. He said that we have this this craving, this emptiness, this brokenness that can't be filled by anything else. You can't fill it with enough entertainment. You can't fill it with humor. You can't fill it with enough booze. You can't fill it with acceptance from your peers or success. It can only be filled with God. And he says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim by, uh, proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help that he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable spirit an immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Friends, we have to admit that we're not okay on our own. There's a place in us that needs God. Finally, I want to challenge you to say yes to God's call. Say yes to God's call. Our world desperately needs the hope of Jesus. Your neighbors need Jesus. Your friends and family, they need Jesus. Your coworkers, they need Jesus. And God thinks that when you're filled up with him, that you are up to the task. So he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it just takes for people like you and me to say, here am I, send me. Let's stand together. I want to pray a blessing over you, but let's respond first right now. Maybe even hold up your hands and, uh, and you just open them up right in front of you if you feel comfortable. And imagine people in your life who need the hope of Jesus. Maybe you, you imagine their names being written on your hands. And let's lift them up to God in prayer right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, we lift up those who need your hope. We're thinking of coworkers right now. We're thinking of family members, friends of ours. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would bring the hope of Jesus to them through us. And if you want to pray this, you can pray this in your own heart or you can say it after me, here am I, send me. And I'll say it again. Here am I, send me. You can say it with me if you want to. Here am I, send me. And God, some of us right now we understand that maybe on those same hands are the things that we've done wrong. And we've heard a message about a holy God. And your holiness is convicting to us, but your forgiveness is immediate, and you dwell with the contrite. So if that's you right now, just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. 
and know that your sin is taken away and your guilt is atoned for. I want you to know that right now. If you just said, God, forgive me of my sins, that took just a second. But his forgiveness and his favor, it lasts a lifetime. His love and his approval of you lasts forever and ever. And you're going to make mistakes again, but his approval will be there again. When you come to him in prayer, he'll say, I forgive you. I accept you. I love you. And in that quick moment, your sin is taken away and your guilt is atoned for. So let's just say thank you to him right now. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful for that, God. And so now for my friends here, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray your blessing on them, that they would know that they're loved by God. Do you know that today, friends? You're loved by God, that they're accepted and welcomed into your family. So send us out with your Holy Spirit in us. Send me, Lord. Send us to bring the hope of Jesus to the world around us. In your name, amen.